previously on Through the Cracks. He was harassed terribly after the image was published. The poor guy is so traumatized, depressed. As young as he is, holding a dead person is not our culture as such. Understand the post agents were after him, they were going to hide him in a farm in Lobati. We saw Mbwibwibwibwisa we, we, we at the port. We found him sleeping there. We took him, he was like a hobo at that time. I told my mother that he's done with Nigeria, he's going to walk to Jamaica. There was just various accounts of people having seen him in London and like just all over the world. So when you get all of those stories from different people, you never know what the truth is. This is Through the Cracks, the untold story of Mbuiza Makubu. I'm Andy Wiener. This is episode three of a four-part series. So far, we've revisited the Soweto uprising of June 1976 and that poignant, powerful image taken by Sam and Zima that became the symbol of the fight against apartheid. We've tracked the journey of the young man in dungarees in that photo, how he fled into exile to Botswana, and then to Nigeria, and ultimately disappeared. Mbuyisa Makubu vanished in 1978, amid speculation about what could have happened to him, leaving his family to wonder for decades about his fate. But then, in 2013, hope was rekindled. More on that next. It's early 2013, in a house in Orlando in Soweto, just a few metres away from the Hector Peterson Museum. A phone rings. The caller is Canadian Border Services Agency investigator Peter Donaldson. Mbali Simalani hears the phone ring. We share a great-grandfather. We are cousins, definitely. But how do you really see your relationship? Yes, I see him like a brother. Although much younger, she grew up knowing Mbuyisa. He was um, a very humble someone. Uh, not too talkative. He liked the reggae music. And um, obviously he liked his ganja. Yes? His ganja. His ganja. <laughs> Peter Donaldson was looking for Raul Makubu, Mbuyisa's younger brother. And then um, it was in the afternoon... Around 2 p.m., we were seated, myself, the wife, and Raul. And then this came, came through, and then um, he again listened to the, phone, to, 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 to the person, but now... He was sweating, and it was a cold winter afternoon. He started sweating. He was shaking. And then the tears were coming out of his eyes. He was motionless. And then... The wife said, Mbali, please take that call, that phone. And then I took the phone 
And then I asked the person on the line who who it was. He said to me he was Peter, and I could see he had, I could hear he had an accent. The year before, Peter had been assigned the case of an individual incarcerated at a correctional facility in Lindsay, Ontario, near Toronto. His job was to try and establish the individual's true identity and nationality. It was while watching a documentary on the Soweto uprisings that something twigged. The man in the prison, known as Victor Vinatel, could be Mbuisa. Peter called the SABC and asked for the Mkubu's phone numbers. He was getting leads from Mbuisa's diaries. At the time, Mbuisa had 36 diaries. And some, when they were talking. They were clues, little bits of information. And Peter and Mbali began to match them up. Every day he would come with a new lead. The first one, he said, he asked me, do I know Musili or Museli, Senior Central Secondary School? I grew up in Soweto, I know Soweto. So within seconds, I said, no, that must be Morris Isaacson. It's in Central Western. Jabavu, that's where it's located. Now taking the Mosini or whatever and the central secondary school, it was a mixture of things. It's somebody who has an idea. So it gave me an idea. And then I said, that would be Morris Isaacson in central western Jabavu, so Soweto. There was the first one. There was a moon-shaped birthmark on the left side of his chest, the same as Mbuisa. Peter gave her two addresses. She thought they might have been safe houses Mbuisa and his friends used. The man knew the layout of the family's home and the location of a coal box in the garden. He knew the date Mbuisa's father left the country and where he had died. Mbali and Raul were certain it had to be him. Mbali got hold of a friend of a friend in the Department of Arts and Culture, and by September of 2013, the minister at the time, Paul Mashatile, was at the Makubu family home with TV cameras, announcing that Victor Vinatao may be Mbuisa. When the news broke, Mbuisa's sister Ntsiki was in Cape Town. A neighbour who used to stay here with Mbuisa's friend, she stays in Greenside now, she called me and said, Ntsiki, uh, there's something about Mbuisa here in the Star newspaper or something. Then it said, um, did you buy a paper or something? I said, yeah, guy, I'm broke. <laughs> I'm not buying papers these days. They said, okay, I'll send you money, buy a newspaper and go to YouTube because it was also on YouTube. Hintiki hadn't been told anything about the developments. She wasn't close to rule and they didn't speak very often at all. She also doesn't recognize Mbali as being a true member of the family. I looked at that guy. You know, I, th- I think what made me kind of delirious is that there was, was already stories that were said by people who claimed to know Musa and I didn't know those people. Everybody's saying whatever they're saying. 
everybody besides Raul knows something all of a sudden, and I don't know those people. And Siki wasn't convinced. And she told Peter Donaldson as much. Uh, the first time he, I think, well, while I was still in Cape Town, he got my numbers and uh, asked me if I saw the picture. Then I said yes. Then he said, do I think that is my brother? Then I said, Peter, he doesn't look like him. I don't know. She also didn't really share the same opinion as her brother about the diaries. An aunt who lives in Canada had a look at them for her. Yes, my aunt, uh, Pete Johnson gave uh, the diaries that he wrote to my aunt, kind of read and see if there's anything that makes sense about, that would make sense that this person might be Musa. So my aunt says the bulk of it, no. A little, yes. But if it's a guy who is kind of mentally deranged, that could be possible. So maybe it wasn't Mbuisa after all. Um, I've been covering the immigration beat for 14 years. Nicholas Kyung is the immigration reporter at the Toronto Star. He was the journalist who broke the story about Victor Vinatau in Canada. Uh, I first learned about it um, in the fall of 2013. I got an anonymous anonymous call uh, about the existence of this longtime detainee, uh, immigration detainee, um, in one of uh, the Canadian jails. Um, and I was told the person uh, has been there for a long time, for an extended period of time. Um, and uh, very little access to legal help and uh, wonder whether, you know, we could find out more uh, about uh, this person and about his status in Canada. He began digging around about this inmate he had been told about. Uh, Based on documentations with um, the uh, Immigration and Refugee Board, uh, we we know that uh, this individual... Uh, believed to be, you know, somewhere uh, in in the mid to late 50s, arrived in Canada back in uh, 1988 um, using fraudulent documents. And um, he filed a refugee claim in Canada in the early 90s, but it uh, it was rejected. And he since uh, actually had gone underground and reemerged in uh, 2004 uh, when he was arrested by Toronto police uh, on an immigration warrant. And according to uh, documentations, um, he was um, um, stopped by by police, you know, um, at a refugee shelter. Some people we've spoken to say he was actually arrested for jaywalking because unlike South Africa, that's something that's like just not done in Canada. Victor Vinatau was sent off to Lindsay to be deported. Um, he, um, yeah, he had been detained. Um, he was actually, the, you know, uh, I believe he's, uh, you know, someone, uh, he's one of the longest, you know, detainee uh, in, in um, Canada uh, uh, history, um, you know, immigration detainee in Canada history. And um, he was detained at um, the Lindsay um, Penitentiary, which is a jail for, um, for uh, convicted criminals as well as um, 
immigration detainees, migrants, uh, usually failed refugee claimants, and um, he basically um, has been detained, uh, had been detained in that facility for you know for the whole you know time. Um, in those 12 years, 12, 13 years. Um, and uh, honestly, little is known, you know, about, you know, uh, what life, you know, what his life was like, you know, in those uh, 12, 13 years. And according to some of the other inmates who actually knew of him that I, I've interviewed, um, he kept everything to himself. Like he wasn't very um, engaged or active and involved um, in the, uh, um, the, the, the detainee community there. It was weird. Vinatar was hanging in this strange kind of limbo. He didn't really belong to anyone. He was not granted uh, asylum, meaning that, you know, he's not recognized as a refugee. And he's someone facing a removal order from Canada, meaning that, um, you know, he, he has no right to remain in Canada. And in the meantime, um, um, uh, officials, Canadian officials actually had a lot of trouble, you know, they still have a lot of troubles um, uh, trying to verify his real identity. As the connection by Peter Donaldson was made, the Toronto Star reporter followed that lead too and spoke to Raul in Soweto. He basically, you know, uh, he um, was very positive just by, you know, looking at, you know, the photo of this detainee that um, his, uh, that's his brother. Um, and um, and uh, it's just, you know, I, I asked him, you know, why, you know, he was so you know, confident, and he simply said, you know, just you know, look at his eyes, and and um, from from that image, and it's something you know, difficult to 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 explain, I I, I guess. Meanwhile, in Ottawa, South African High Commission member TC Mdadlana was getting his first requests to start investigating this case. Well, we waiting patiently for the real farmer. You know what I mean? Because, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's still a bit chilly. It's uh, hovering between 12 and 14, the temperature, uh, at the moment. But we're looking forward to our summer. Which will last about a week, right? <laughs> <laughs> You'll probably remember him as South Africa's Labour Minister. He's really funny. And I get the sense during our chat that he doesn't seem to care too much about local politics anymore or what he says. He's been in Canada since 2012. He is also the only South African official whatsoever that will talk to us about the story. Well, this um, happened in September 2013, exactly a year um, after I landed in, uh, in Canada. Um, when I got this uh, request um, that we must find this person. At the time, the name that was given to us was Mbuisa Makubu. Um, And then we're directed where he is. And unfortunately, also, there was reluctance on his part to meet any of our um, uh, people. In Joburg, a representative from the Department of Arts and Culture who had been contacted by Mbali had also taken up the case. Shalo is, um, at the time, she was um, chief director 
Shalom Bata was ready to head to Canada to fetch Mbuyisa and bring him home. She has spoken to Paul Mashadile and Paul Mashadile has um, okayed the whole thing to say, okay, seeing that you have the pictures and you feel that it is him, you think that it is him, now go to Canada. Mbali was swept up in the excitement and the anticipation and had great expectations. You know, with Shalom, Shalom actually went there and said she had no doubts. This was Mbuyisa and she's going to bring Mbuyisa back home. Did you expect her to bring him back home? Yes. Yes, Mindy. I expected him to bring Buisa back home. But it wasn't quite that easy. Victor Vinatao wasn't interested in seeing anyone from South Africa. So Shalo had to pretend to be his cousin. She went to see Buisa. And then she says it wasn't easy. I mean, for a person who's gone through so much pain. And um, who has uh, never had a visitor. In years that she's been in jail. She wrote to various government departments convinced Victor Vinatao was indeed the iconic June 16 hero Mbuyisa Makubo and she readied the ground for him to return home. Then, towards the end of September 2013, a delegation from the consulate in Toronto, led by Consular General Tilani Mokwena, went to visit the Lindsay Penitentiary. We had to visit this prison. And that happened to be exact on the 23rd of September. So we had to organize this visit. He agreed to meet and we explained the purpose of the visit also to the Canadians. And unfortunately cannot be in secret because officers of Canada also must be there. So this gentleman was handed home affairs um, identification application forms the passport application forms and another form which is called the determination of citizenship form which he was expected to complete but also he was also expected to undergo a fingerprinting process which must accompany these department of home affairs forms the first thing that, uh, of course, we encountered is that he refused to complete the forms. And so we had to engage in a, um, a question and answer discussion 
um, with this uh, gentleman who stated clearly that he is not what we think he is. He is Mr. Victor Vinato. So, in that meeting, Victor Vinato denied being in Boisa Makubo. And this is where things get really perplexing. So stay with me. Despite what he said, photographs were published showing Vinato in an ANC shirt and posing with the South African diplomats as the newly discovered hero. Clearly, the officials were desperate to believe what they wanted to believe. People can believe whatever they want to believe. However, it is clear to me that uh, within the family, there are people when they saw those pictures who believed that this is him. They were talking about uh, that scratch in one eye and that ear, that what and what have you. However, within the same family, there are people who say, no, it is not him. Minister Paul Mashatile was also still pushing for Mbuyisa to be brought home. It may well be that um, Minister Mashatile at the time believed the other, um, I, I hate using this term, faction of the family that believed that it is Mr. Makubu. And therefore, he believed that um, this comrade, this hero of the students of 1976, has been found. The Canadian CBSA investigators were also convinced and began preparing for Vinatel to leave. Peter and Dale, the way they were so excited, they went to do shopping for Mbuyisa and even bought him a suitcase so that when he touches down in South Africa, he will look like a decent man with his own suitcase and his own clothing. Home Affairs was put on standby to issue documents at short notice. Preparations were made for a homecoming celebration. A press conference was planned. But first, a DNA test had to be done. General Pasane calls me. That would be the current Acting National Police Commissioner, General Pahlani. He introduces himself and tells me that he's the head of uh, the forensic. And then uh, he'll be sending people to Orlando West so that they can take the DNA from Raul. Police officers went and visited a sickly and frail Raul Makubu at home. They took swabs from his mouth. These were sent off to Canada and the tests were done there. I heard from General Pasane who told me that uh, he was so sorry. He is uh, the head of the forensic in South Africa that the DNA didn't go well. Peter was furious. They have bought the ticket. The ticket, it was on the 24th of September. Yes. It was supposed to be Peter, Shallow, Dale. Dale is uh, Peter's uh, partner. The doctor who was to look after Mbuyisa and Mbuyisa. They were all supposed to come back? Yes. And then what happened? I don't know. I was never told. 
and all the plans came to a screeching halt. Behind the scenes, there was all kinds of politics at play, both in the Makubo family and in the higher echelons of government. There was this tug of war between different departments and the ANC over who would own the victory of bringing Mbuyisa back and the subsequent embarrassments, of course. Then Home Affairs Minister Naledi Pando allegedly confronted Mashatile at an ANC-NEC meeting and accused him of being too hasty. He had publicly suggested it was Home Affairs that was holding up the entire process and made her look bad for stalling such a historic moment. Mashatile was desperate for a win after the knock he had taken at the ANC's Mangoong conference. What better than this PR dream? Pandor declined to speak to us about this. She referred queries to the Arts and Culture Ministry. Mashatile agreed to an interview and then gave us the runaround for months. But that wasn't the only controversy. Shalom Mbata, it seems, had gone renegade. Her short stay in Canada dragged on for three months. It was claimed she had absconded from duty by failing to return. She refused to come back without Mbuisa. It was also suggested that she had run up a hotel bill of around 400,000 rand. At some stage, she would, uh, when she didn't have money to pay for the hotel, she would like sleep over at Dale's house. And yet, she was telling me she was sleeping at the subway. The blame for the entire shameful affair was laid with her. Number one, she he, she got there with an ANC top, a top with an ANC emblem. Why did she do that? No, she said that she was Mbuisa's cousin. And Bali said, yes, Shalo is Mbuisa's cousin. Shalo now works at the Gauteng Film Commission. She's left arts and culture. She didn't want to speak to us for this podcast, but in a text message said she had nothing left to add. And the number of stories floating around about her and the Canadian affair don't stop to astound her. She urged us to go to Canada. It's clear she still maintains Victor Vinita is Mbuisa. But then, what about the DNA? Here's the real twist in the tale. So, as we understand it, officials did a paternal DNA test because they assumed Mbuyisa and Rule were brothers, right? But what they didn't count on was a long-buried family skeleton. Rule's mother had fallen pregnant with him while his father was out the country in exile. No one knew. No one, no one asked me anything. But did you know? Dad was always talking. And our... Did did Raul know? No. So so the police didn't know? Okay. But then, Mindy, you know... (laughs) The police didn't know. Raul didn't know. I knew because... uh, don't speak. But then, you know, 
some of these things you can't just talk about them. And with me, honestly speaking, I thought because they shared the mother, definitely there was going to be a link. And again, I couldn't just spill the beans about my aunt. I had to keep the secret. When they took the DNA, even if the father was not the same, but because of the mother, somewhere it would come positive. But they tested the paternal DNA. <laughs> yes. And they had different fathers. So that was the explanation the believers were after. The DNA was inconclusive because the two men didn't share a father. So next, officials tried fingerprint comparisons. During a meeting with the current arts and culture minister, Natim Tetwa, Mbali learned that they had dug up Mbuisa's old ID application from the 70s. And then, as we're in the meeting, we're joined by a guy from Home Affairs who came with the file. And in the file, he presented to us fingerprints saying that these Ambuisa's fingerprints, they have been found and now Nati told me that the guy was to go to Canada to do the match in Canada. That also came back negative. It seemed any hope that Mbuisa had been found and would come home was utterly and completely squashed. But despite this flurry of activity and excitement, one of Canada's longest incarcerated individuals was still languishing in prison. Nicholas Kyung, the reporter, explains that pressure was beginning to mount to find a solution. All of a sudden, you know, he started cooperating with... Um with the Canadian officials, uh, but I think you know definitely his case, you know, um, has been brought to the attention of the Canadian public and also among the the legal communities, um, um, meaning like uh, refugee lawyers, and they are really you know they were really concerned of. Uh, his well-being, and uh, we also have a very robust uh, campaign, um, um, advocacy campaign happening now in Canada. For most of his time in Lindsay, Vinatar refused to attend bi-monthly detention hearings held by the Immigration and Review Board. We have the transcripts of many of those, and he's just, well, not there. He's not cooperating. But suddenly, in December last year, he decides, pretty much out of the blue, to attend one and testifies. And all these details about this man come tumbling out. We've got those transcripts too, so I've asked Zianda Ngobo to come in and read us the highlights. But the most important thing really, and what you need to know, is that he says he is not Mbuyisa Makubu, and he felt ambushed by South African authorities. So essentially, in October 2013, his lawyers, uh, because at the time he still didn't appear um, for his own hearings, said that 
He admitted to Tselana Mukwena that Victor Veneto is a fictitious identity because he didn't want to share his true identity because he fears being sent back to South Africa. Now, on page 23 of the December hearings, which he was now speaking for himself, he said, I had been in custody on immigration detention that had asked me to talk to South African officials, to which I refused. I said, I do not want to talk to South African officials because my situation, why I fled South Africa, it was not about apartheid it was about it was about these kind of people who are in government now so i do not want to talk to anyone in the government so it's gone on and on and on so in 2013 they ambushed me when they put the, put me in that room and all of a sudden they bring two south african officials into the place and i had no choice but to say you know when they said are you victor Veneto?" i said no i'm not that is what i told the south african officials that is what i told them because they ambushed i had refused to talk to them even one incident in 2006 they brought them into the detention center so they tried to do the same and i walked out so what do we actually know about this guy he arrived in canada in 1988 on a fake zambian passport but he is South African, right? So he is South African. And having studied the transcripts, you you get to compare the different stories. So, for instance, this man who claims to be Victor Veneto, he says he was born in September 1963, whereas Mbwisa Makubu was born in 1954. This man claims he was raised in Masina. I think it was a typo in the transcripts. I'm assuming it's Musina in Limpopo. Um, Mbwisa Makubu was raised in Orlando West. Um, and, and so it goes on. This man, um, Victor, claims his parents are Philemon Mutepa and Beatrice Mpukuta um, and grew up in Limpopo and he even cites one sister by the name of Gift who he claims was born in 1972. He even goes on to claim that he's got three children in Canada and another one in Germany but he did say in the transcripts he's not quite sure if that child in Germany is his. So there's a lot of you know um, discrepancies in the story because if you remember Mbuisa's got three siblings that's in Tiki, Raul and Ntando. Um, and from what we've gathered, Buisa um, has a son in Botswana by the name Tato. And Tato was conceived round about 1978, 1977, before he fled for Nigeria. So when you look at the different... Um, you know, facts that come up, you kind of wonder if the man in Canada is Mbuisa Makubu, but you also think that because he fears coming back to the country, it could also be a fictitious story. And he fears coming back because he says that he fears the ANC because his parents were killed by the ANC. That's what he seems to suggest. And there were also these doubts about his mental health throughout, but he comes across as quite lucid and stable. So he is mentally stable, and that's what the judge found when they had a hearing on the 13th of Jan this year, where they were now going to determine whether or not he should still remain in detention. You must remember he's been incarcerated for 11 years and five months. So the Canadian authorities uh, were in a situation where they had to decide what to do with this man. And in that judgment, she said, even though he'd been continuously changing his identities, it was a deliberate attempt to evade authorities based on his admission that he's scared to return to South Africa, his refusal to speak to the Canadian Border Services authorities and speaking to South African officials show that he doesn't want to leave the country. However, they cannot continue keeping him in the facility. And so that's essentially it. But he is mentally stable. So as a result of this testimony, Victor Vinatau 
was released from detention in January. Some good folk at the Mennonite Central Committee agreed to vouch for him. He's been put onto a bail system and he's out there in the general public. There are very uh, uh, restrictive uh, conditions and he still has to report regularly uh, to uh, Canada Border Services to ensure, you know, he doesn't go underground again. And when, you know, uh, when and if, you know, a date is set for his deportation, uh, he's going to be, um, he's going to make himself available. We asked Nicholas from the Toronto Star to go and speak to him for us and do an interview, but... He's not interested. And last I heard, um, he was staying at a, uh, a homeless shelter. And uh, we've tried to contact him and also uh, to talk to him uh, for, for, an, uh, for a story, to interview him. But he has um, declined our, our, our request, our offer. And um, we still, you know, we continue to try to, try to get uh, his side of the story. I also sent his lawyer, Ben Liston, an email. His response? I have spoken with Mr. Vinatau and relayed your request. He asked me to respond on his behalf. Put simply, Mr. Vinatau has no interest in speaking with the media with regard to his personal history or any other matters. He also asked me to clarify that he is not Mbuisa Makubu. We asked the South African High Commissioner about the claims of an ambush. Well, that man has said so many things. And uh, so it does not surprise me that he says that. In one moment, he looks like a normal person. In one moment, you don't know where he is. In one moment, he speaks English. In one moment, he speaks German. So he speaks in tongues because uh, it's our job to meet any South African that is in distress. So we're still left with some lingering doubt. Is this man lying? Could it be Mbuisa? Well, all I can say is, is that it remains a mystery. But the story is by no means over. The fire is still burning in those who believe that it is Mbuisa. A second DNA attempt is on the cards with his son, Tato. And government is scrambling to manage the fallout. More on that in our next episode. You've been listening to Through the Cracks, the untold story of Mbuisa Makubu. I'm Mandy Wiener, and this is an Eyewitness News production. Research by Zianda Ngobo and Krista Abis. Sound production by Peter Turon. To see supporting documents, maps, timelines, archive footage, and video interviews, visit www.ewn.co.za.